Today I want to talk to you about the real purpose of opposition. The title of my sermon is The Real Purpose of Opposition. What is opposition and why does the enemy oppose you? It's of utmost importance that we identify the opposition of the enemy for what it is and identify the purpose for which it comes. Now today we're looking at Psalm chapter 112 verse 8 and it says, His heart is secure, he will have no fear, in the end he will look in triumph on his foes. His heart is secure, say it, he will have no fear. His heart is secure, he will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. His heart is secure, he will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. One more time. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. Once again, his heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. God wants to make your heart secure today. He wants to remove insecurity from your heart and replace it with security. And security is the power to remain unmoved in the face of opposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Security is the ability to face insurmountable, insurmount, seemingly insurmountable opposition with an unmovable heart. And an unmovable heart leads to an unmovable agenda. Because the real purpose of opposition is to get you to change your agenda. See, the enemy doesn't simply want you to fear. He knows what fear does to you. And what fear does is it begins to entice you to diminish your agenda. But the righteous man, the scripture says, his heart is secure. He does not shrink back in the face of opposition. He doesn't begin to diminish his agenda. He doesn't begin to revert to plan B. He doesn't begin to scale down. Instead, his heart is secure. When he sets his heart on some good purpose, his heart is secure and unmovable, and he has no fear. If God said you're going to have ten, the opposition to the enemy comes, and the first thing we start saying is, okay, well, maybe it's going to be five. And then more opposition, you say, well, Lord, I'll be, I'll be happy with one. And then the opposition intensifies, you say, maybe it's just not the Lord's will at all. But not the righteous man. His heart is secure. He has no fear. In the end, he looks in triumph on his foes. Now, the word secure here in the Hebrew is the word samak. Samak. Say samak. samak. It means to lean or to lay or to rest upon. His heart is secure because it is leaning on the Lord. It is laying upon the Lord. It is resting upon the Lord. His heart is secure because it is not leaning upon. See, insecurity means that your heart is leaning upon a circumstance. And if your heart is leaning upon something that is movable, then your heart is going to be movable. But if your heart is leaning upon something that is unmovable, then your heart will be unmovable. And so if your heart is shaken in the face of opposition, it's because your heart was leaning upon something movable. It was resting upon something movable. And so when that thing moved, your heart moved with it. But if your heart is leaning upon the Lord, then when opposition comes, your heart does not move because your heart is samak, secure, leaning, resting upon the Lord. It also means to support, to uphold and to sustain. The righteous man's heart is secure because the Lord is supporting it, the Lord is upholding it, and the Lord is sustaining it. The heart is leaning upon the Lord, and the Lord is supporting the heart. You see, the Lord supports the heart that leans upon Him. But if your heart is leaning upon something else, the Lord can't support it. So when you're walking through trial and you say, God, where are you? God is saying, I'm right here. Where are you? 
The problem is that your heart is not leaning on me anymore. That's why he said, I will keep in perfect peace him whose heart is stayed on me. If your heart is stayed on him, then he can keep you in perfect peace. But when your heart departs from its place of rest, then rest departs from its place in your heart. And so if you keep your heart in its place of rest, then rest will remain in its place in your heart. But you got to know who your foes are. It says in the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. You see, you got to know who your foes are and who your foes aren't. See, some folks are fighting non-foes. You got to understand that your foes are not just anything that comes against you. Because some stuff that comes against you doesn't even, it's not even worthy to be called your enemy. Your enemy is a, has a very clear definition and a very clear identity. And you got to get this in your spirit today. Your foes are not simply those who are out to get you. Not everybody who's out to get you is your foe. Your foes are those who are out to stop you. You got to get that. See, those who are just out to get you are a nuisance. You don't even waste your time fighting people who are simply out to get you or things that are out to get you. It's the things that are out to stop you that are the real power of opposition in your life. Because something that's out to get you, but it doesn't actually stop you from doing anything. Why would you even fight it? It doesn't stop me from doing I'm I'm on this road over here. I'm going in this direction. And this thing over here is not stopping me. It's just trying to pick a fight with me. I saw on Facebook yesterday that somebody put on their Facebook wall, you don't have to attend every argument that you're invited to. I mean, imagine it. You're on the road, you're pursuing your destination, and there's this thing over here going, come over here and fight with me. And you're going, you know what? I'm going to take a break from my destiny to go over here and fight with this thing that has nothing to do with what I'm doing. I think that's what I'll do. I think I'll stop this good work that the Lord has given me to do so I can go over here and get in a fool's war. Just get in this back. See, see, you know, okay. So we, we have to focus because, so there's no purpose to the power of opposition that's just out to get you. Yeah. It's just out to get you. In fact, it's not even real opposition because in order to oppose you, it must stand in your way. Something opposes you when it stands in the opposite direction that, in other words, if I'm walking straight and something is coming at me, it's opposing me. But if I'm walking straight and something is yelling at me from beside me, it's not even opposing me because it's not even in my path. And if I get caught up getting in arguments with things that are not even in my path, then I didn't get stopped. I stopped myself. I can't blame the devil for that. I made the decision to attend that argument. It's an invitation of the devil. Would you come over here and get locked up in some foolishness real quick so that so that you don't get to your destination? You see? And so you just walk right past it. I was thinking about this when my wife and I and I think Sam, we were out in in, uh, Berkeley. Was it Sam that was with us? And and, uh, we're walking up the street and there was this guy who when he saw me, all of a sudden he stopped and started yelling profanities at me for no reason. It happens to me in Berkeley all the time. People pick me out of a crowd and cuss me out and try to attack me, you know. I'm going to kill you. I hate you. But so I'm walking, you know, I'm walking right here. And there's a guy standing over here. I'm walking. I'm looking at my wife and I'm walking. He, let's say he's standing there at that corner. I'm walking and he stops right there. You mother. And he's yelling and screaming. And standing there. You. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs. And I'm seeing him in the corner of my eye, but I won't even look at him. I did just like this. And he's turning with me and walking. I was just like, put my arm around my wife. Let's go get some sliver. We're on the way to sliver. They got roasted tomatoes today. I'm not getting in, I'm not getting in a fight with this foolishness. I don't even know you. Why would I care that you're yelling at me? But what would most brothers do? What? What you say about me? What you say? And then you end up in jail. Or worse, you get beat down because you're not going to let nobody disrespect you. If the devil knows that's your button, he's going to push it. I mean, think about it. If that's your button, nobody's going to disrespect me. I got to fight everybody who disrespects. The devil is going to line up demonic appointments for you. See, God has divine appointments for you, but the devil has demonic appointments. He will have people lined up on the street. 
to give you the finger and cuss you out and, you know, flip you off. And I mean, he'll have people wait. He's going to start handing out assignments. You're going to wait for him on the corner of 45th and San Pablo. You're going to wait on 40th and San Pablo. Every five blocks, somebody's going to try to pick a fight with you. And if that's your button... Until the Lord can get you to stay in the car and keep looking at your GPS navigation system. I don't care how many people curse me out out there. I am not getting out of this car. Why? Because I'm on a mission. You're not even in my way. But now, when something gets in your way, it's a different story. Now it's on. (laughs) Come on, somebody. I was thinking about this in Isaiah chapter 37. So Isaiah... Is, is, uh, is living in Jerusalem. King Hezekiah is king over Israel. Assyria is the new world empire, and they had conquered everybody. And they had destroyed everybody. And they had killed everybody. And even gone into the northern kingdom of Israel and drug off the ten, the nor- ten northern tribes into captivity. And now they're surrounding Jerusalem, and Sennacherib has his army surrounding Jerusalem, and his servant is standing at the wall, and he's yelling up to the people of Jerusalem, don't let Hezekiah fool you into thinking the Lord your God is going to deliver you out of the, ki- the hand of the king of Assyria. There's no God in all the world that could ever deliver his people from the king of Assyria. Don't let, you're, we're going to destroy, we're going to come in there. And when Hezekiah heard it, The scripture says that he put on sackcloth and ashes and went into the temple of God and began to pray. And then he sent a message to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And the messenger came to the door of Isaiah and said, thus says King Hezekiah, this is a day of rebuke. It is a day of sorrow. It's a day of sadness. This is a day of destruction. This is a day of a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. And he says, therefore, lift up your voice and cry out to God for the remnant that remains. You see, he's using that term remnant. We're just a remnant. There's just a, we got a little bit of strength left and we can't, we can't fight this. We're just a little thing left. And he says, so Isaiah, you got to pray. You got to pray, Isaiah. You got to cry. I mean, these guys are wearing sackcloth and ashes, you know, ashes on their head and they're, they're wearing bur- they're wearing sackcloth and they're standing at the door of the prophet with tears in their eyes. And they're going, you got to pray. If you don't pray, we're all disturbed. We're all destroyed. And Isaiah doesn't even take time to pray. He doesn't even think. The word of the Lord came on him in about two seconds. He hears that word and he says, Thus you shall say to King Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Isaiah didn't even waste time being troubled by the power of this opposition. Why? Because it wasn't in the way of anything. It was coming at them, but it wasn't trying to stop them from fulfilling something that the Lord had. And when something comes from the side and it's not even in, in your way, it doesn't even oppose, you don't even fight it. Yeah. Notice I did say, didn't say, Hezekiah, you better get your army ready. You better sharpen your swords and get out your spears. I know you've got a small army, but the Lord can, can give victory through the many or through the few. And he's going to give victory through the few, right? He did, no, no, you're not going to war. Tell Hezekiah to quit tripping. There's absolutely no way that Sennacherib can come up, come up in here and destroy the people of God. And then down further in chapter 37, that's when Isaiah begins to sing this prophetic song to, to Assyria. And he says, the virgin, the daughter of Zion mocks you. She throws back her head. I mean, you know, he's like, dude, I mean, a whole foreign army is surrounding you. And this prophet is so confident in his God that he's not even going to fight this thing. Instead, we're going to mock them. Can you imagine Israel standing on the wall looking at this vast army going, "Ah, you guys look so pathetic. You should see your faces right now. I mean, you guys think you're going to defeat us. You just don't know who our God is. We feel sorry for you guys. Go back and tell Sennacherib, we feel sorry for him. We feel sorry for all of y'all out here, out in the desert. I'm standing on the wall eating sandwiches. (laughs) You guys are out in the desert living in tents. I'm about to go to my house while y'all are out there in your tents. I mean, it's like Isaiah says, let's mock him. And then you get to the end of Isaiah chapter 37. It is flaming hot up in here. Or maybe I'm just on fire. You get to the end of Isaiah chapter 37 and what happens? The angel of the Lord goes out into the Assyrian camp and kills 85,000 of their men. And they wake up the next morning. The commander wakes up, comes out of his tent, and there's bodies everywhere. It's like, what the heck happened here? Meanwhile, back home, Sennacherib goes into the temple of his God to worship, and two of his own sons come in and shank him and kill him. Exactly the word of the Lord. Isaiah's like, I told you. 
There's no need for fasting and praying. See, some of you are fasting and praying about stuff that's not even in your way. Uh, It's not even in your path. Some of you are fasting and praying about reports that are not even a reality yet. They're talking about laying people off at my job. Pray, folks. Did you get a pink slip? No, then I ain't praying. It didn't even happen yet. Why would I pray for against a possibility? That's not even such not even real yet. That's what's waste of prayer. You could be fellowshipping with God and having intimacy with God and communion with him and hearing what he says. But instead, you're wasting your time praying about potential disasters that are in the periphery that aren't even in your path. What are you working on at your job? What are you building at your job? I'm going to pray that God gives you success in building that thing instead of protecting you from some potential disasters that may, you know, no, 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 no. You got to you got to get this right. Now, when you're facing an enemy that's trying to stop you, that's a different story. Now it's on. Now in 1 Chronicles chapter 14 verse 8, David is anointed king of all Israel. And the scripture says in 1 Chronicles 14 8 that when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed over all Israel, had been anointed king over all Israel, it says they went up in full force to search for him. Can you imagine that conversation among the Philistines? The report comes in. Hey, check it out. David was just anointed king of all Israel. And they go, we got to go kill him right now. We got to stop him right. We've got to go find him and kill him right now. Why? Because if we give him time to get on his feet, it will be the death of us. He will expand in every direction. He will enlarge his territory. He will expand because he just got the authority to move forward and we have to stop him now. And so they went out against David in full force. And so David hides in the stronghold and he prays, Lord, shall I go out against them? The Lord says, go out against them. I'm going to deliver them into your hands. Now you got to go to war. Why? Because you're in my path. See, what we tend to do is fight stuff that's in our periphery and tolerate stuff that's in our path. You're not fighting stuff that's in your path. You see, sin in your life, that's in your path. A problem in your marriage, that's in your path. You got to deal with that. Problem with your children, that's in your path. You're fighting stuff in your periphery. People are just yelling at you from the sideline. You've got to fight the stuff that's in your path. David had a vision from God for expansion. And because he had that vision, he said, I've got to fight anything that gets in my path because that is real opposition. It was trying to stop the forward momentum of what God was doing in David's life. And so David goes out and he confronts them at Baal Perazim. He names the place Baal Perazim, which means Lord of the Breakthrough. Because he said, after he defeated the enemy in that place, he said, as waters break out, so the Lord has broken out against my enemies. And so he named that place Lord of the Breakthrough. You want to know him as the Lord of the Breakthrough? Then you've got to confront your enemies at the place of opposition. You don't, you say, oh, I need a breakthrough from God. Yeah, but you're cowering and not attacking the enemy that's standing in your path. You've got to attack that thing and then you'll discover him to be the Lord of the breakthrough. So whatever stands in your way and says, don't do this. You can't do that. It's too big for you. It's too hard for you. It's too dangerous for you. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's too much. Anything that, that attacks your purpose in that way, that's the power of opposition that you've got to overcome. I was thinking about, uh, you know, cracked me up. Somebody, have any of you heard of old school cafe? I know a lot of you've heard of old school cafe in San Francisco. And so there was that video that was going around Vimeo, and it was about what they do there and their vision and how awesome it is. And they pull kids off the street, at-risk kids off the street, and they give them jobs, and they train them, and they give them a, a, you know, something to do. They teach them a trade. And so these kids are working in this restaurant, and it's, it's great. And so a b- whole bunch of Living Hopers were saying, let's go to Old School Cafe. We've got to go out there to San Francisco. It's in the inner city. We've got to go out there and support them and see what they're doing. And, you know, it's a great cause. And uh, somebody wrote under that post. My, actually, my wife put it up and said, who wants to go with me to Old School Cafe? And so a bunch of people were like, oh, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And then somebody who's not a member of our church wrote, don't go to that neighborhood. It's dangerous. <laughs> people get killed there. My friend went out there and he got robbed. And Daniel Writings, a member of our congregation, he wrote underneath, yeah, it's not in our DNA to be afraid of dangerous places. <laughs> I nearly fell out of my chair laughing. I'm like, you know, you're right. You know, I mean, we're going to Banda Aceh in Indonesia where they kill people for believing in Jesus. You know, we're, 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 you know, we're traveling all over the world. We're not afraid of, of downtown San Francisco. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? We, you know where we just got back from? You know what I mean? You know, we're, we're not, you know, it's going to take a little bit more than that 
to stop us. Think about it. Jesus begins to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must be handed over to the hands of the Gentiles and put to death. And Peter takes him aside and rebukes him and says, Lord, it will never be. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you're a hindrance to me. Get behind me, Satan. Do you know what the word Satan means? It means adversary, one who comes against. Satan is called your adversary. That's why Peter says, be on your guard for your adversary. The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is your adversary, which means he comes against you. It means that when you are on the path to accomplish some good purpose, he stands in the path and he opposes you and he tries to stop you in the path. Jesus says to Peter, you're my adversary right now and I'm telling you to get behind me. Why? Because you're only considering the things of man and you're not considering the things of God. In other words, Jesus knew what was going to be accomplished through his death and he knew that if Peter stood in the way of his death and he took Peter's counsel at that moment, then there would be be no resurrection and there would be no redemption and there would be no eternal life. And so he looked at Peter and said, you're my friend, but right now you are speaking with the voice of the adversary and I got to tell you to get behind me. I'm telling you that whenever you set out to do some purpose, some good purpose, there will always be the voice of an adversary in your life that will say, this will never be, you stop this, you will never do this. Why? Because the accuser of the brethren does not want to see you prosper in any way. Now, we're talking about the financial one thing, and the theme for this year is back to the blessing. But the thing that you need to understand is that financial blessing will not simply drop into your lap. When we're talking about, yes, financial blessing, wealth and riches are in his house, that's great. All of that is great. But you got to understand that you got to go get it. It's not, you don't just sit home and meditate and pray, and the ceiling opens up and money falls into your lap. God wants you to prosper and be blessed, but you've got to get out of your house and get it. That is, you've got to be going somewhere. And some of you are not experiencing any opposition because you're not going anywhere. You say, I'm standing in faith against my enemies. You ain't got no enemies because you ain't going nowhere. Nobody's trying to stop you. If nobody's trying to stop you, it means you're not doing nothing. You look at that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and it talks about the context within which God will bless you and it makes it very clear that God will not simply bless you anywhere. Goodness and mercy follow you, but blessing will not. Blessing will go with you into certain contexts, but certain places it will not go with you. That's why the theme is back to the blessing because some of you have departed from the blessing and you need to turn around and go back into the realm of the blessing because God will only bless you within a particular context. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the Bible gives us that context. It says you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. The fruit of your body will be blessed, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, your cattle and your flocks, your basket and your kneading bowl. That's where you'll be blessed. Notice it doesn't say you'll be blessed on the couch and blessed in the bed, blessed at the chair and the table, and blessed in the movie theater. The blessing of the Lord will not fall upon you while you're laying on your couch. Instead, there's a lot of promises for the sluggard in the book of Proverbs. And the scripture says that as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. And it says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, who having no guide, overseer, or teacher, provides her food in the winter and her sustenance in the fall. So you've got to understand that that blessing has a context, and sluggardness is not the context for blessing. Because if God blesses your inactivity, it will only produce more inactivity. Think about it. You're, You're just laying around doing nothing, saying, God bless me, and he's going... Okay, boom, and now you're doing a lot of nothing. If God blesses your nothing, you will simply have multiplied nothing. And that's why God withholds his blessing when you're in the place of inactivity. Because he needs you to do something, and when he blesses it, he takes one little thing you do and prospers it so that it becomes a big thing. And that is precisely what blessing is. And so if you want God's blessing to break out in your life, you better get you some flocks and herds. You better get out into the city and get into the field. You better put some seed in the ground. You better get you some cattle and some livestock and you better get yourself a basket and a kneading bowl. In other words, you got to just start knitting or something. I mean, if he'll bless your knitting. I mean, start braiding hair. Do something. Yeah. <laughs> 
Come on, somebody. So the question I have for you today is what is the next step for your family? What is the next step for your financial situation? I've been giving you so much over the last eight weeks, the last seven weeks before today about financial blessing. But what are you doing with it? What are you setting out to do? What is what process? What is the trajectory? In other words, if you could forward fast the trajectory that you're on right now, another two years, where would you be? If, if in the direction you're moving right now, if every door opened, where, what would it open into? Yeah. Would it open into a degree? Would it open into a new business? Would it open into a new job? If you say it would open into nothing more than where you are right now, then you don't even believe God wants to bless you. If you believe God wants to bless you, then you need to get on the road that leads back to the blessing and believe that God's going to remove every obstacle from your path and he's going to take you all the way into that place called blessing. What is the next step? For some of you, the next step is entrepreneurial, which means you need to start something. And I know as soon as I say that, some of you are thinking, oh, but I can't do that. I'm not an entrepreneur. I can't start something. I couldn't do it. And don't you know that that already is the opposition to the enemy? The opposition to the enemy, you can't. You can't. You can't. You're not an entrepreneur. What are you talking about? You need to be realistic. You, you don't know the first thing. Do you realize that no entrepreneur knew the first thing about being an entrepreneur until they actually became an entrepreneur? He said, well, I didn't go to business school. Do you realize that only 2% of graduates from business school actually become entrepreneurs? Did you know that? That even people who go to business school, 90, 98% of them succumb to the lie of the enemy that says you can't do this. You don't know enough. You don't have enough experience. Some of you have an entrepreneurial itch in your heart and it's from the Lord and you need to start something and you need to move it forward and you need to get up off your blessed assurance and let God strengthen you and you need to figure out how to do it and you just need to do it. Some of you have been talking about starting something for years. You've got to start it this year. Say, well, what if it fails? Good. Wonderful. It's a great experience. Because there's no such thing as failure in the kingdom of God. It's just a seed that it may fall to the earth and die. But if it falls to the earth and dies, it bears much fruit. Yeah, yeah. And so if, you, if something fails, great. You learned a lot. Now start another one. Amen. So what if it fails? Great. You learned even more. Start another one. Because at some point, something's going to be blessed. Come on, somebody. Come on, I'm trying to get you ready to go. I want you, not, you know, you're not going to go home today just saying, ooh, that was a good word. <laughs> ooh, that was a good word. Ooh, that Pastor Benjamin, ooh, he really brings it. I ain't going to do nothing with it, but ooh, that was a good word. That's how most believers do. Every time, ooh, I'm encouraged. Ooh, I'm, I feel good. I'm strengthened. What are you going to do? I don't know, but I feel good. I'm strengthened. You need to produce, you need to start something. So there's business in you. There's business in you. I, I think we, we said there were 11 new businesses that started in this church last year. Yeah. 11 new businesses. So listen, some of you need to take your business to the next level. And what's happened with some of you who started business is that when you, when you encountered opposition on the road to entrepreneurial success, what you did in the face of that opposition is you took it as a sign that it was displeasing to the Lord. Wow. Say so it must not have been God's will. And so what did you do? You disband the whole thing. You disband. This morning, Dr. Kirby was telling me about the law of association. He said, sometimes the only thing that needs to happen for you to succeed in your endeavors is you got to meet the right people. Some of you, your business has not succeeded simply because you haven't met the right people yet. And you got to believe God to set up divine appointments and relationships in your path and associations in your path. But see, the problem is you're so afraid that your your thing is going to fail that you don't tell nobody about it. Some of you have the secret business ventures in your heart and you're not telling nobody about it. And that's why nobody can help you. The law, and so you're, you're trapped in, you're living in a prison of your own ignorance. And you feel trapped there. You say, I got this vision, but I don't know what to do with it. Then you better tell some people about it so that some people can come around you and say, I know what to do with it. It's funny, you know, I almost completely abandoned the vision for Abba University. Almost, com- but I just, I knew I had to sit it on the shelf because it wasn't working. But I almost completely abandoned it. And the Lord came back and, and Pastor Daniel was telling me every week, you've got to pick that back up. You've got to pick that back up. And so I felt, I felt like the Lord said, pray and ask me for what you need. So I started telling him what I needed. And all of a sudden, stuff started breaking out. And I, I got to meet a guy, and he says, let me build the platform for you. 
You know, I'm like, what? Are you serious? He said, we're already in the process of building it. And somebody else said, let me do this part for you. And somebody else said, let me do this. When I realized, I just needed the right people who had the pieces that I didn't have to come and say, let me hear your vision and then let me add my piece to your vision. And if we can put our pieces together, we can do something great. See, some of you think I could never do anything great because I'm just not that big. I'm small. Well, okay, so meet some other people who have, listen, if you've got a dream, if you've got a vision, all you need is the right associations, the right people around you. So there's the law of association. Sometimes you just need to meet some people. But then there's also the law of experience. Sometimes you just need to go through some things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of those things sometimes is failure. You need to be able to go through failure without feeling like a failure. That's what it means to have a heart that's secure. It means that even when the thing blows up in your face and falls apart in your hand, you don't feel like a failure. You just see it as an experience, not as a self-identification. So you walk and say, I'm a failure. Or you can walk away saying, that didn't work. What's next? I needed that experience. Now I'm stronger and I'm all the wiser for it. And so some of you, your next step is something entrepreneurial. But what has stopped you, and this is the big thing. This is the big thing when it comes to entrepreneurialism. There's this lie in your heart that says, this is just pride. You know, if I, oh, I, in, the, in your mind, you have this big vision. It could be big and it could be lucrative. It could bring in a lot of money. Now see, that's the flesh. See, that's greed. That's not godly. It's not godly to be successful. It's more godly to be a failure. That way I can be really humble. The most godly thing I can do is just remain an employee in somebody else's company. Or have a fledgling business that allows me to barely scrape by. That's really godly. And God wants to put big visions in your heart. But as soon as a big vision hits your heart, you say, well, I want to be humble. Well, I want to be. Okay, I remove that lie from your heart right now in the name of Jesus. And I release you to go out and be prosperous. I want you to get visions. Listen, you need a vision to make at least double what you're making now. At the very least. And some of you make so little, you need to think quadruple what you're making right now. So I don't I don't need much. I don't need much. I don't need much. All I need is my daily bread. All I need is my... God wants to break that off of you. Why? Because what what financial increase does is puts within your hand the power of divine generosity. Radical generosity. You will be made rich in every way so that you may be generous in every circumstance. That's what Paul said. And God is able to cause you to abound in all things so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. Come on, somebody. So for some of you, the next step is entrepreneurial. God wants to give you an entrepreneurial vision. And you know what? There should be more entrepreneurs in the church than there are in the world. There should be more entrepreneurs in the kingdom of God. Why is it in the world? Nobody's afraid of success, but in the church, everybody's afraid of success. And there's so many warnings that are sounding across the body of Christ. Don't become too successful. It may go to your head. Don't become too successful. See, that's a warning against power. This whole thing that's happened with Dr. Paul Yonggi Cho, Dr. David Yonggi Cho, and, and there's these accusations that are coming out against him and these, these alleged scandals that are happening behind the scenes. And, and there's these great pastors that are writing these blog entries and putting it out there and saying, this is a warning to all pastors that you should remove every desire from your heart to increase in any way. And I say that is the greatest lie of the enemy. That the only way to remain safe is to remain poor. And the only, re- only way to protect your heart from pride is to remain, to stay in this, this, this rat weight race where you're struggling and barely scraping by. We should have more confidence than the people in the world. You say, well, what will keep me safe? Well, you put some safeguards in place. The first safeguard is setting it up, making sure in your heart that no, how, no matter how prosperous you become, you're going to remain obedient to God. And what does that mean? You're going to, number one, tithe. 
Number two, you're not going to isolate yourself from the body because suddenly you're wealthy and I can't talk to all these little people. You're going to remain relationally connected. You're going to remain submitted to the teaching of the house. You get so rich and your business is so prosperous, suddenly you can't come to church anymore. No, you set it up in your heart. I don't care how prosperous I become. I will never become negligent in coming to, to church and in, 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 in gathering with the people of God and hearing the word of God. You're going to be submitted to pastoral authority over your life. You know, you set these safeguards in place and they can keep you safe. And as long as those safeguards in place, you're free to prosper as much as you can possibly prosper. God wants to prosper you beyond your wildest imaginations, but you've got to break free of that fear. It's debilitating. It's stopping you in your tracks. And you wake up sometimes, and some of you here, I can feel it. It's like you're bursting with vision. But as soon as you take a step towards it, oh, but you're going to become too powerful now, and then you're going to become prideful. Then the Lord's going to have to take you down, and then it's going to be a nationwide, a worldwide scandal, and then your name's going to be all over the news, and then people are going to walk away from Christ because of what? No, I better go back over here and just do nothing. The devil is a liar. For some of you, it is entrepreneurial. For some of you, the next step is educational. You need to learn something. For some of you, what you, need, you know you need to do is go back and finish that degree. Go back and get that diploma. You need to go get the next degree. You realize that you have hit the ceiling in the field that you're in. And the only way to break that ceiling is to go to the next level of education. But then the enemy would speak to you and say, well, you don't have the time for that. You ain't got the money for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. You don't have the brain for that. You don't have the family for that. How are you going to do that? You, you can't learn. You know how many years it's been since you've been in school? What These young people are there. You're too old for that. You know, all these lies in the enemy to stop you in your tracks. You need to go get your education. You need to go, some of you need to matriculate this week. You need to go sign up because you know you need that degree. You know it's the next thing in the progression and you know that until you get it, you're going to stay where you are. And if you know that you're going to stay where you are until you get it, what is stopping you? Why are you thinking, oh, it's not now, it's later. Oh, it's not now. There's my breath mints. I need those. Oh, it's not now, it's later. (laughs) I'm ready for the altar now. (laughs) I found some folks fall out not because of the power of God. (laughs) People are crying and (laughs) buckling and shaking. Now, that doesn't mean you got to go full time in school. It doesn't mean you got to go enroll in that degree program and stop everything. See, a lot of times people do it too. You think you go from one extreme to the next. The first extreme is, I'm not going to even take a step in that direction. But then the next extreme is, I'm going to forsake everything and get that degree. And so now you're not available to your family. Now you're, now you, you need to ask people for money. My God. My God. God. God mm, the Lord. <laughs> David said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. We are so quick to beg for bread and so slow to ask God to give us an idea. If I need more income, the first thing I do is say, God, where is it going to come from? And I'm not looking for somebody else to prosper so I can get more. So we get that in our heads. Lord, bless somebody else so that they can bless me. If Listen. If you need more money right now where you are, you know what you need? You don't need a sponsor. You don't need a benefactor. Some of, some, some, some of you in here, that's your dream. To have a wealthy benefactor that will give you something. That's what you ask God for. I rebuke that dream. That is the devil. That is not the Lord. Lord, send somebody wealthy who had the faith to, re- to receive a big vision from you to support me. How about God, give me an idea. Give me a business. Give me something. Put something in my hand. Let me get something out of this educational pursuit that will take me to the next level. Listen, every believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to learn how to believe that God is your provider and that God will provide for you himself. 
Not dependent upon other people to provide for you, but dependent upon God. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're in the place right now where you need some folks, some folks are, are helping you out, don't reject that either. I don't want nobody after this service, you know, saying, uh, Dad, I know you're helping me with school, but I got to send you this back because Pastor Ben. No, that, no, no, you take that money. <laughs> you take it, but you don't depend upon it. Meaning it's not your long-term plan. It's your short-term plan. Maybe when you're going through school, you need somebody to help you go through school. But if there's no, see, and see, this is the test for me. If God makes a way, if God sends somebody to do it without me going around asking a bunch of people, listen, this is so, man, this is so important. You got to get this. All right. So the Lord called me to do my PhD. Now you all know this story mostly, but, but this is the thing. The financial story behind it is so powerful. Because I knew the Lord told me to do it. I knew it. But I said, Lord, okay, I got one condition. No student loans for this degree. I will not incur more debt to get this degree. I won't do it. I didn't have the faith to say, I wish I would have had the faith to say that for my master's degree. Because I'm still paying for that one right now. I graduated with my master's degree 13 years ago, and I'm still paying for it. Why? Because I didn't have the faith to say, God, you pay for it. If I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have all that student loan debt. I graduated with my master's degree with $65,000 of student debt simply because I was ignorant about God as my provider. So I thought, let me borrow from the state. Now, now don't get me wrong. If you're getting student loans, that's okay. I'm not saying go turn down those student loans. But I'm saying make it a short-term solution, not a long-term solution. Okay, I got it for this semester, but let me begin to believe for next semester. You hearing what I'm saying? It's not... It's not about condemnation because I did it. But this is the point I'm making. The point I make is when I started my, my, my PhD, I said, Lord, you got to pay for it. And, and there, was a, there was no one person who came and said, I'm going to pay for your whole PhD. But when I was getting ready for the first quarter, I was crying out to God and praying, who's going to do it? What's going to happen? Or what do you want me to do? And all of a sudden, my wife's older sister called and said, I got a check for Benjamin. She's like, what? She said, I'm going to pay for his first, first quarter. And she wrote a check, paid for my classes, paid for my book, my books, paid for my airfare there because I had to fly to Virginia Beach, paid for my housing there, my rental car, my food, everything. One check. Hallelujah. But you know what? That was one quarter. I prayed, you know, several quarters she did that. But then there were some quarters where she was broke and she couldn't do that. Get this in your mind. Just because somebody supports you once doesn't mean that they're agreeing to be your lifelong source of support. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not a right. And so I was praying one day. I said, Lord, what, do you, what, what, what am I supposed to do? I needed $1,500 by the next morning to enroll in my classes. I said, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, call your aunt and ask her for the money. I was like, you're tripping. That's, that's the stingiest aunt in my entire family. <laughs> and I said, Lord, give me someone else. Come on, give me another name. Give me another name. Give me another name. Give me another name. <laughs> Dr. Kirby said this morning, the Lord is stingy with words. He doesn't like to repeat himself. The silence of heaven indicates that God knows that he's already spoken and he knows that you've already heard it. Amen. <laughs> God, God says, you heard me. I know you heard me. So I'm not talking to you no more. So I called my aunt. I was like, hey, auntie. She said, Benjamin, how are you? So good to hear from you. I said, oh, I'm great. She said, oh, wonderful. She said, you know, I've been praying for you and your school. And she said, if there's anything you need from me ever, you just let me know. If I can help you with school, just let me know. I said, well, actually, that's kind of why I called. She said, what do you need? I said, I need $1,500. What? She goes, well, how much do you have? I said, nothing. I need $1,500. She goes, well, you don't expect me to pay all of that, do you? I said, uh, oh, no, no, of course not. I said, no way. My goodness, that would be way too much. Oh, my goodness. Certainly not. She said, I'll give you $300. 
I said, I will take it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. So I go knock on her door. She opens the door, hands me a check. I looked at it, it said $1,500. She said, after we, after we talked, I got convicted. <laughs> she said, I'm 97 years old, and this money is just sitting in the bank. And if I die with this money in the bank and you couldn't finish school because you needed this, how am I going to meet my maker? <laughs> what am I going to say to Jesus? <laughs> she said, I may see him any minute. <laughs> I can't die with this in my heart. Thank you, Annie Jo. <laughs> She's with him now. She was 100 years old when she died. Old and full of days. And full of good works. Full of good works. But you know what was a trip? That was the one time that God told me, ask this person. There's a season for that. There's a time for that. It's about being directed by the Lord. Sometimes God will say, ask this person. Sometimes God will say, start this thing. And, and, and tell, let, me, let me just set this out. If God says, ask this person, and they didn't hear the Lord say the same thing, don't push them. Because the odds are you didn't hear from God. <laughs> Because I've had people call me and say, the Lord told me you're going to give me this. And I said, well, when when he tells me that, you'll hear from me. Until then, you go get a job. (laughs) All right, moving on. I'm just talking foolishness right now. So for some of you, it's entrepreneurial. For some of you, it's educational. You just got to learn something. For some of you, it's creative. You need to create something. You need to make something. Some of you got books in you that you need to write. I'm preaching to the choir. Some of you got books in you that you just need to write. And you need to stop procrastinating. (laughs) Some of you got songs in you that you need to record. Some of you got dances in you that you need to release. Some of you need to start a YouTube channel and start making some videos. You need to build some websites. Tell some jokes. Do something. (laughs) Do a little dance. You only got one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. No, you know what? You know who I really respect? I respect a lot of people. I respect two people in this church I really respect in that regard is Mickey Cho and Nathan Bartlett. I respect those guys. Look at this. I respect Mickey Cho because Mickey Cho has a full-time job but still puts out CDs like every three months. Like a whole CD of new songs that he created in his bedroom. I'm like, I always see, I see on, his, on his Facebook, I'm launching, I'm releasing my new CD next week. I'm like, what? No, because he works full-time for me. I know he ain't got no time. See, Joseph knows, you know, that when you work for me full time, you get an ankle bracelet put around your ankle. (laughs) When I hired Joseph, I told him, you're not allowed to leave this building ever. (laughs) You will eat, sleep, breathe. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so, and all of a sudden he'll come up with a new CD. You know, I talked to Nate Bartlett, you know, he just released his new CD, Nate Bartlett's new CD, uh, Cardiac Arrest. I was bumping it on the way to church this morning with Dr. Kirby and Sister Sandra in the car. <laughs> How you like that? <laughs> uh, music for me is ministry and art. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're going to put some of those out so that people can pick them up. Some people can buy some. You've got you to you get this. You've got to listen to this. But you know what? These guys are doing something with their talent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they're not just talking about it. They're putting it together. They're doing something yeah. with their talent. Lorenzo, I want to see your line of clothes come out, man. <laughs> come on, dude. You got to get it out there, man. You, you, got, you got it in you, man. It is in you. It is in you. It is in you. You know? It's funny. You know, I talked to my friend Brian Kim. He's the pastor of Echo Church down in Buena Park, California. Really good friend of mine. My new BFF. And I'm talking to him. <laughs> and you know what's funny is that, that, you know, when I talk to this guy, man, this guy is like full of wisdom, full of knowledge, full of understanding, per- perspectives. I mean, it's just, there's just this synergy that happens between us every time we talk. And and so, and, and, but we do this with each other. You know, I'm talking, I'm like, yes, yeah, so, you know, the Lord was showing me this and I was teaching this. And he goes, man, that's awesome. Let me see the book. Oh, what are you talking about? 
You, you obviously wrote a book on the subject, right? He said, well, no, I didn't. He goes, well, why not? Go, listen, go into your room, open your computer, and write that book right now. I mean, write that book. Design the heck out of that thing. Hire a graphics designer to put a tight cover on that thing and put it out there. The body of Christ needs this stuff, man. Go write that book. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You, okay, all right, I'm going to start working on that right now. And then he'll say something. I'll be like, so where's your book on that subject? Oh, well, I don't know. I said, no, 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 no. Don't you do that to me now. You can't give it and not take it. <laughs> Boy, you better write that book. Ninja, you better open up your computer and write that book. I'm telling you, listen, some of you got creativity in it. But this is the thing. As the body of Christ, we got to learn how to spur one another on toward love and good works. One of the most important things that you can do. In the, and see, this is the thing. When you've got vision in you, whether it's entrepreneurial, whether it's educational, whether it's creative, you're struggling with, you know, Jesse, you know, Jesse Murillo, one of the most talented guys in this entire congregation. I mean, like one of the most talented and inspirational guys. You got all kind of music in you. You got to start putting it out there, man. You got to start making CDs, writing songs, getting it out there. And we got to start collaborating. We got to get collaborate. Amy over here with her prophetic art. Now, power. Look at that. Look at that. And that is awesome right there. I don't know what it is, but it's awesome. It's beautiful. I don't, I don't understand art. I don't. I mean, it looks beautiful. All I know is it's beautiful or not beautiful. And that's, that's beautiful right there. That's my only, you know, that's my. What do you think of that? That's beautiful. That's all I got to say. It's awesome. It's beautiful. You know, I mean, we, you've got vision in you. You've got gifts you and and, but this is the thing your your enemies okay i'm gonna bring this in for a close okay (laughs) so what are the enemies that you got to overcome in order to move forward well your enemies can be either demonic emotional or relational when your enemies are demonic, there's some demonic opposition. There's some demonic voice that's, that's attacking you and oppressing you. Yeah. Right? And oftentimes, the demonic will oppose your progress by stimulating your flesh. Wow. Yeah. See, the way the devil opposes you yeah. is by stirring, yeah. stirring up your flesh. Yeah. Yeah. And if he can get you in the flesh. See, some of you spend way too much time looking at pornography and that's why you can't create anything. So, oh, I got to get stop procrastinating. No, you got to get out of the flesh. Wow, yeah. Some of you just spend way too much time arguing with your spouse. And that's why you can't create nothing. Because after you get in a big argument with your spouse, then you try to go sit down and write a book. You ain't writing nothing. <laughs> ain't happening. <laughs> you see, the enemy stirs up. And some of you just spend too much time watching TV. You take your good creative time and you give it to entertainment. And it's still the flesh. Because it's about getting something for yourself. I'm not saying it's evil to watch TV, but you need to put markers on. You need to put some boundaries around that thing. And you need to say, I'm turning this thing off in 30 minutes or one hour, whatever it is. But I'm going to focus on creating something, on moving something to the next step. And so sometimes that, that enemy is demonic. But sometimes the enemy is emotional and it takes the form of internal pain and self-doubt. And internal pain and self-doubt is the road that leads to procrastination. And so, you know, I've got an opportunity right now to submit something for for something. I can't even tell you what it is right now. But I got a call from a somebody (laughs) who told me, I want you to submit this something to me and I'm going to put it in front of this somebody for some purpose that I can't tell you about. <laughs> and so I got all excited about it. I got all excited about it. I got all excited about it. And that was like three weeks ago. I still haven't submitted that something to that somebody. Oh, and it's not something that I need to create. It's something that I already created. So it's just about, it's, it's, it's not about even about time. I can, I can lie to you and say, I didn't have the time. No, I'm scared. It's internal pain. I had a dream about it the other night. I had a dream that I submitted it and that somebody took it to that somebody and they took one look at it and I was there in their presence and they said, this is it. And I said, yeah. And they looked in my dream. They looked at it and they went garbage. Get out of here and walked away. 
and they threw it in the garbage can. So that was not a, now this, some of you have a dream like that, you think it's prophetic. <laughs> the Lord warned me in a dream not to do this. That wasn't God. I woke up and I knew that that was emotional pain. And that wasn't even the devil. It was my own emotional pain and fear of rejection and fear of failure. And so that means there's some insecurity in my own heart that I need to overcome in order to make this, this submission. I told Dr. Kirby about it this morning. And he said, isn't it interesting that the enemy hit you in the two places where he knew you're the weakest in your entire life? The one is failure. You don't like failure. And the second is rejection. You don't like rejection. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. And so he encouraged me to do it. So I'm making, a, I'm making a commitment right here in front of this house right now that before next Sunday, I'm going to make that submission. Yeah. Praise the Lord. I got a standing ovation from, from Chris. Standing ovation from Chris Wong. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Where are you going? Where are you going? <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes it's demonic, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's relational. Sometimes it's a friend or a family member that becomes an adversary in your path. So you can't do that. You don't know what you're talking about. Man, you ain't doing nothing. What you talking about? You're going to start a business. Please. You ain't starting no business. <laughs> Had a young man tell me that he... When he graduated high school, he applied for college, and he got into a prestigious school. He went to his dad, and he told him, he said, Dad, look, I got accepted to this school, and I, I even got some scholarship money, and it was in another state, and I, I'm going to go. And his dad looked at him and said, you ain't going to do nothing but go over there and fail. Man, that, that tore me up when he told me that. And you know what he did? He tore up that acceptance letter and never left. Because he was 18 years old. And this is what happens. That relational opposition begins to compile itself upon, compound itself upon your emotional opposition. Because typically there's already a a voice inside you that's saying, you can't do this. And so when there's a voice outside you that's saying, you can't do this, and there's a voice inside you that's saying, you can't do this, all of a sudden there's a compounding effect, and it almost, it almost always debilitates you. So you've got to strengthen your inner man so that there's no internal voice of opposition. And when you remove the internal voice of opposition, then when you receive that external voice of opposition, you understand that when somebody outside of you says, you're just going to fail. Let me tell you something. Anybody who tells you you're just going to fail... Anybody, and especially if they use those words, you're just going to fail. It's not about you. It's about them. It's never about you. Because in order for me to say, even if I don't think your business opportunity or your business idea is a good idea, I will never say, you're just going to fail. There's never a reason to say that, even if you know this isn't going to work. But not working and failing are two different things. Even if I thought my son is just going to go there and be a C student, that's the best he can do. I'm still not going to tell him you're going to fail because I'm going to say, son, you're going to go there and do your best. You know what? I don't care what the grades say. You're not a failure in my book. You're you're a finisher. And even if you stumble your way to the finish line, I don't care, son. I'm so proud of you for getting in. I'm so proud of this opportunity that you have. We got to learn how to be the voice of positivity for people. You see? Now, so those three voices, the relational the emotional, and the demonic. Those are the three powers of opposition that try to stop you in your tracks. Keep you from making progress. Prevent you from breaking through to the next level. Tearing down your ideas, telling your ideas are garbage. They'll never amount to anything. Anybody who tells you your ideas won't work, you look right back at them and say, "Then, then give me an idea that'll work. And if they can't, tell them, then shut your mouth. I don't need to hear a word from you. Because if all you can do is articulate the problem, but you can't articulate a solution, you're nobody. Well. But you know what? Somebody who can tell me that's not going to work, but then can tell me what will work, that's a valuable person in my life. 
That is a valuable person. And never treat somebody with, as an enemy who has other ideas for you. In other words, just because somebody says, I don't think that's going to work, that doesn't mean they're your enemy. They can be your greatest friend. Even if they say, that idea, no. It's, there's there's 10 things wrong with that idea. If the, if the next thing that comes out of your mouth is, let's sit down and map it out and let me show you 10 things that will work for you. That's your friend. That's your friend. Because we need some people who will say, stop that. That's foolhardy. Because, you know, next thing, I'm going to quit my job and, and I'm going to start this business tomorrow. Don't do that. But I can tell you how to start that business. It might not be tomorrow, but I can tell you how to start it. And there's people in the body of Christ that can help you start that thing. So we need wisdom. But wisdom Wisdom can come with the critique and bring instruction without being opposition because wisdom empowers you, but opposition stops you. And so anything that simply tries to stop you, you got to learn how to stop that voice, how to push it to the side. And what happens when you respond in faith to the power of opposition is even if it's standing in your path, you can push it onto the side. Meaning. Even when you're coming against the voice of opposition that's standing in your path, you could push it onto the shoulder of the road and keep walking. You can treat it like it's peripheral. Does that make sense? All right, that's good. In the end, he shall look in triumph on his foes. In the end, he shall look in triumph on his foes. Let me tell you something. God's going to use the same system that oppressed you to promote you. That's the word of the Lord to you. The same system that oppressed you is going to promote you. The same system that oppressed you is going to promote you. God doesn't take you out of the system and promote you in a different system. He promotes you in the very system that oppressed you. Do you realize that in this country, what, 50 some years ago, women were not allowed to vote? And now we got women in the highest echelons of government in this country? We had a woman running for president in the last, I mean, man, that's crazy. When 50 years ago, this whole system was designed to oppress women. Do you realize the whole system was designed to oppress a- African Americans, and now we've got an African American president? Yeah. Forget about whether you do agree with them or not. It's, not. it's not about that. But it's about recognizing that in the providence of God, yeah, yeah, yeah. he uses the very system that oppresses you. And that's what it means when he says, I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The very system that oppressed you, he's going to flip the script. And prosper you in that very. And so you got to believe that in the end you will look in triumph on your foes. Why? Because your heart is secure. Knowing this causes your heart to become secure. And if your heart is insecure, you'll be stopped by opposition. But God wants to secure your heart today. Some of you here today, you walked in this room and you, you came in with your heart leaning on the wrong thing. You came in with your heart resting on the wrong thing. Your heart is resting on the approval of the people around you. And so when the people around you disapprove, your heart is shaken. Your heart is resting on having some financial backing for what you're doing. And when that financial backing is shaking, your heart is shaken. Your heart is resting on the economy. And when the economy shakes, your heart shakes. But God wants to remove that tendency of your heart to rest itself upon foreign things. And he wants to teach you how to rest your heart upon the Lord. And when your heart is resting upon the Lord... And it's secure in Him. God can give you outlandish ideas. Amen. Outlandish things. Outlandish things. And, and the Lord knows how to work it out. So He'll just speak to you and say, call this person. Just go see this person. The law of association. I treat everything like it's providential. If I feel an inclination to watch this movie, I think maybe God has something for me in that movie. I'm going to watch that movie beginning to sense the times and the seasons and discern what the Lord is saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that only happens if your heart is resting on the Lord. Yeah, that's at rest, at peace, peace, secure. You will have no fear. Why? His heart is secure. Amen. His heart is secure. I don't care what your situation is. God wants to secure your heart. Yeah, 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 he wants yeah. to hold you fast. Yeah. Psalm 26 or Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Yeah. Therefore, we will not be moved. Even though the earth give way and the mountains tremble and crumble and fall into the midst of the sea, even though the waves of the ocean roar, Selah, 
Selah. You know what Selah is? It's that Hebrew word that they don't even know how to translate. But they know that that word is simply situated in such a way as to suggest that it is the cry of the heart that says, let it come. Let it be. My heart is at rest. My heart is at peace. It's an incomprehensible cry of the heart that is at rest in the presence of the Lord. Selah. Selah. Everything around you can be shaken. The economy can be shaken, but your heart can say Selah. Selah. There's a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her. God will help her even at the break of dawn. I'm telling you that God has supernatural help for you. God has supernatural strength for you. Some of you are struggling in your business. You're struggling. Some of you have entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial pursuits that are struggling right now. I wanted you to know that God will strengthen you. That you are not in the hands of the economy. You are in the hands of God. You say, well, my business is struggling because the economy is struggling. Yeah, but God is not struggling. I don't care what's happening in the economy. We serve the Lord God and he is our provider. And God is able to make you prosper in all things. But your heart has to rest in that place. Your heart's got to rest in that place where it says, God is my refuge. God is my refuge. And when it says, he will, not be, he will have no fear of bad news. In the previous verse, verse 7, he will have no fear of bad news. But it also means that he will not rejoice in good news. He won't be elated by good news and he won't be di- disappointed by bad news. Why? Because his heart does not depend on news. His heart is, is dependent upon the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. That the Lamb of God has overcome. That the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the seed of David, has triumphed and he has overcome. And he is worthy to take the scroll out of the hand of him who sits upon the throne and to break its seals. God's opening up his scroll on your behalf today. He's opening it up. He's opening up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. And he's pouring out blessing upon you. And I say, you're going to be blessed in the city. Some of y'all need to go to the city and get a new job. Or go to the city and start a new company. You're going to be blessed in the city. Say, I can't work in the city. The city's too big. No, you're going to be blessed in the city. And some of you are going to be blessed in the field. You need to go out into the field and plant something. You say, well, it's too hot out in the field. No, you're going to be blessed in the field. And some of you are going to be blessed at the kneading at the kneading bowl. Some of you are going to be blessed in your basket. Some of you are, are going to be blessed in the fruit of your body. Some of you, you're just supposed to make sure your children succeed. And God's going to bless the fruit of your body. Others of you, whatever it is, you're going to be blessed. But you've got to do something. And God has vision for you. God has a plan for you. He's got purpose for you. You're sitting on all kinds of potential. All kinds of potential. All kinds of potential. But I call it forth today. I call it forth. Not one of you are to struggle financially indefinitely. It's a temporary situation for you, but God has blessing for you. Stand to your feet right now. Lift up your hands to the Lord.